On July 5th, 1994, a company was founded in a garage in Bellevue, Washington. Anybody have an idea who that was? Probably not yet. Initially, this was an online marketplace for books and now has expanded into a multitude of product categories, a strategy that has earned it the moniker the Everything Store. Somebody? Yeah. I'll, I'll read further here and you'll, you'll, you'll get it. Since June 19, 2000, the logo has featured a curved arrow leading from A to Z, representing that the company carries every product from A to Z. Sound familiar? Also known as the company we spend way too much money at. So tonight I'd like to talk a little bit, you might wonder what, what kind of introduction that is to Winter Bible School. But uh, tonight I'd like to talk about another kind of Amazon. You've got to forgive me for making such a crude comparison, but it uses the same letters, the same letters, Alpha and Omega. These are Greek letters. They're the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. Alpha and Omega. The, the Alpha is like our letter, capital letter A, and the Omega is like an O with two little uh, things on the side. You might have seen that before. Interestingly enough, in Hebrew, the, there's another word sort of like this, the word emet, which means truth. Um, it's referred to as the seal of God. And this word is composed of the first, middle, and last letters of the Hebrew alphabet. So there's a similar word that sort of has, and it, it's also in reference to God, or um, has God in it. So now, that, with that introduction, let's just think about what alpha and omega could mean. Obviously, I, like I said, it's the first and last letters of the alphabet. Um, so what, what does alpha and omega bring to your mind? The first and last letters of the alphabet, what does that bring to your mind? And let's read some verses first about this. Um, Revelations 22.13 says, I am alpha and omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Revelations 22.16, then a little bit further on, says, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things, in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And then Isaiah 44, 6. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. And I'm going to be referencing these verses a little bit later on as well. But what comes to your mind when you think of Alpha and Omega, the first and last letters? What significance does that have in your mind? Any ideas? I have three here I'd like to talk about. I'd like to hear from you. From everlasting to everlasting. Yeah, everlasting to everlasting, eternity. Mm -hmm. Talking about time, right? From everlasting to everlasting, that's good. Anything else? All right, and let's talk about the first one, that, what you mentioned there, Jonas. Timelessness. Now, we know that God has no beginning, has no end. He's always been, always will be. That's a little bit hard for us to grasp sometimes. But it's also helpful to kind of put it in our perspective, and I think that's maybe what uh, Alpha and Omega is doing there, um, that phrase. It's helpful to be able to conceptualize it in something that we can understand. 
God is the first, and he's the last. He's the first ever was, and the last ever will be. And if you look at the Bible, what does Genesis 1-1 say? In the beginning, God, right? Last verse in the Bible, Revelation 22-21, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, amen. So the first and the last verse of the Bible both mention God. And of course, all throughout scripture, we see it's all about God, really. So thinking a little bit more about this, about the first and the last. Um, According, I don't know if you've ever seen, maybe on Facebook or different places online, you sometimes see this, but according to some research at Cambridge University, you can put the first and last letter of a word and uh, keep those at the same place and then scramble the whole word and you'll still be able to read it. You can create an entire paragraph and just keep the first and last letters in place and jumble the whole, all the letters in the word, and you can still read it pretty, pretty normally. It's pretty incredible, actually, but apparently our brains, the most important part is the first and last letter, and if that's in place, we can just still read it. Our brain doesn't actually really read every single letter. It just looks, sort of looks at the word of the whole. And I thought that was kind of interesting and maybe sort of applicable here because that's sort of how our lives can be. Sometimes, well most times actually, we look around us and the whole world is in disarray and there's problems everywhere, but if we keep Christ as the center, like the beginning, the end, and all throughout our lives, it doesn't really matter what what happens. We're still all right. If God is the first thing we think about in the morning and the last thing we think about in the evening and is what we think about throughout the day, and who we turn to for help, it doesn't matter what happens. Let's look again at Revelations 22.16, the verse we read earlier. Another interesting tidbit from here says, "Uh, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David. Isn't it interesting that God is the root of the tree, and he's also the offspring of the tree? He's the root, the beginning. He's also the fruit, the end. Right? Isn't that interesting? I just thought that was a... I hadn't seen that before. I thought that was very interesting. God is both, and if you look at Scripture, God is both the inspiration and the fulfillment of prophecy. He is both the inspiration and the fulfillment of our Scriptures. He's all throughout it. So that's a little bit about God's timelessness. Let's look a little bit about His greatness. That's another thing that comes to my mind when I think of being Alpha and Omega, being important, God's greatness. The first and the last positions in something are are usually the most important positions. If you want to be remembered, you either need to make a good first impression or you need to leave a good ending impression, right? Everything you do in the middle matters less. So hopefully, tonight, I leave either a good first impression or I finish well, right? (laughs) Because most people only remember what happened in the beginning if you made a very favorable impression in the beginning or what you leave off with. And in psychological terms, that tendency is called the primacy or recency effect. Our brains tend to remember the first item 
primacy, and last item, recency, in a series. Isaiah 44.6 that we read mentions um, that he is, let's, look, let's read it again, I am the first and I am the last, but also says beside me there is no God. Right? So he's the first and the last, but there's also no, no other. There's no other God. So not only is he the first and the last, he's also the only one. And one more thing here about the greatness of God. Um, you remember Nebuchadnezzar's dream of the big, tall man, or the, the statue? In Daniel 2.44, there's a, uh, you can read about that in Daniel, the book of Daniel. Daniel 2.44 says, And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. God will be the final kingdom. God's kingdom will be the final one. So that's God's greatness. The last one I'd like to talk about is God's provision. Thinking a little bit about the example of Amazon again, you can, if you can't find on Amazon, uh, you're either going to have to go to the local Amish farmer or some obscure place because you're probably, most things you'll be able to find there. Again, that's sort of a crude illustration of God, right? But um, I think still sort of um, can bring us to think about how God provides for all of our needs. We can go to God for anything, right? And he's all we will ever need. Now, I've had days when I come home from work or come home or, and it just, nothing goes right. You're in one of those moods. And it seems like nothing satisfies or fills what I'm feeling. Except prayer and talking with God about it. And I know that's true because once we are willing to stop looking other places and we go to God, then we finally get what we need. I want to read 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 to 11. Second Corinthians 9, verses 6 to 11. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food, and multiply your seed sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. Um, if you read this, that was the KJV, if you read this in the ESV, there's a phrase in there, I believe it's either in verse 11 or maybe verse 8. It says, having all sufficiency in all things at all times. Isn't that amazing? Sounds pretty comprehensive to me. There's nothing missing there. But then what's the point? What's the point if we get everything we need? It's not just to keep it for ourselves. 
The point is, like it talks about here, is ministering to others, dispersing to others from what we're able to get from God. What he freely gives us, we freely give to others. The point is that God is glorified through us, through what he gives us. So think about Alpha and Omega. Is God good enough for you? Is God what you need? Is God where we go when we need something? Do we go there first? Or do we look everywhere else and then go to God as a last resort? Or is he truly our Alpha and Omega, our A to Z, everything that we need? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you truly are everything that we need. Thank you that we can go to you with our every situation, crisis, help that we need. Thank you for caring for us, and I pray you bless us this evening as we continue to learn from your word. Thank you for all that you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm going to ask the children to come up, and you can fill these two benches on this side. All the children, don't be shy. On this side, just on this side. There's also room on the third bench. Go around this way. You can go around this way. Here, go around this way, the front. There you Boys and girls, can you say good evening? Oh, great. Hey, well, I'm sorry I took the maybe a little unusual step of turning the lights out here, but I wanted you to get a, this lesson. Um, I don't know if you knew, but Jesus used to do a lot of object lessons, and he was a really good teacher, so I want to be cool like Jesus. So maybe you guessed, but tonight's topic, or children's class, is about light. Whoops, I'm sorry. Here we go. All right. Here is a quote from Jesus. Um, he said that you are the light of the world. He said this in Matthew 5.14. Have any of you ever heard of this before? Okay. A couple people did. Okay, great. All right. So let me read you all of the part where he talked about that. He said, you are the light of the world. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. It's in Matthew 5. So, did you see this bucket I have here? This is my basket. It says uh, pet boys on it, I think. Anyway, what do you think about if I cover up my light? How many people think this would be a great idea? The, way, the best way to use this lamp that I brought? Anybody? No, you don't think so? What if we use it instead for a stand? 
Then it gives light to everybody in the house. Now, it's not a very bright light for the whole church house, I guess, but, right? Do you think that's a good idea, right? So Jesus said, in the same way, your light is supposed to shine before others so that they can see your good works. So maybe you wonder what kind of light Jesus wants us to be shining. Anybody have any idea what Jesus wanted us to do? What do you think, Ellie? Okay, well, that's good. I like that. Yeah, so fortunately, Jesus actually explained right here in the passage what he meant by what kind of light he wanted us to shine. And he was talking about good works, like doing good things. And in case you didn't, haven't thought about this, did you know that Proverbs says that children are known, even children are known by your works? So what, when you um, show good deeds, then people notice, Right? So let's talk a little bit about good deeds. Does anybody have any idea what you could do that would be a good deed? Any ideas? Something would be kind or... No one? I thought of a few things. Um, One of the things I thought of is cheerful obedience is really obvious. Have any of you ever been shopping with your mom and you're at a grocery store or something? And you see another kid who didn't get the candy they wanted. What does a kid do? They're like screaming in the cart and yelling and falling on the ground. Have any of you ever seen that? Yeah, that's terrible, right? People notice that. But a, a child like you who is willing to cheerfully listen to your mom and dad, that's, that's amazing. People notice that. How about kindness? Did you know that in Galatians it says that Christians who are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, who love Jesus... One of the ways that you can tell that they have Jesus in their hearts is because they're really kind. Kindness is one of the fruits of the Spirit, right? So do you have any ideas for kind things you could do that would be a light to everyone? What do you think, Ellie? So someone you shared some things that somebody gave to you? That's amazing. Do you have any ideas, Brooklyn? No? Well, I, you know, at our house, then um, people always like when you share a snack, or uh, people like when you play with a puppy, or maybe it's time your turn to take the, the dog out for a potty break, or playing with a little sibling, or what else? Sharing your snack at recess, or playing with someone that doesn't have any friends, right? Those are all kind things that you can do. But people really notice when you do something kind. Do you know Jesus, or not Jesus, the Bible says that we are, we are going to be known by showing love to each other. That's how the world's going to know that we're Christians. So I think that's really important. So showing kindness and love to each other. So the last thing I wanted to point out is what Jesus said here is that people are going to see your good works. And the reason why they need to see your good works is so they bring glory to God. And when you do things, when you show kindness or love or good deeds, people are going to notice, and they're going to glorify God. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but it's even better than chocolate ice cream is when you know that you've done something that brings praise to God. That is so exciting. That's like probably the most exciting thing I've ever done is when I know that I've done something that makes God happy. 
And so when you do acts of kindness or obedience or whatever, that's a witness. That is the way that Jesus said people are going to know um, or are going to bring glory to God in the way that people are going to learn to know Jesus. All right, so let's just, just to recap, I want you all to say this first with me. The adults, you can help too. So let's just say you are the light of the world. Say it with me. You are the light of the world. One more time. You are the light of the world. And you can even make that personal if you want. And since Jesus was talking to us, we can say, I am the light of the world because he wants all of you to go out and do kind things, do good deeds, right? All right, so last thing I want to share, I don't have nearly enough for everybody, but I have a few candles, and I'd like for you to walk back with these candles, and um, we're going to leave the lights out. Hopefully it's okay for you all to walk back, but I'd like you to walk back, and those of you who who I have one for, I want you to hold it high so that people can see what it's like to have a little bright light shining, okay? So I'll try to uh, share them out a little bit. All right, and uh, while they go back, let's sing this little light of mine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I feel we've learned a lot already. Thank you for coming this evening. I think God has a lot in store for us throughout the next few evenings here. So thank you for coming. God bless you for bringing your family. I think the home folks realize that our format this year is a little different. Other years we had the children at the school, and I'm not saying we might go back to that, but the leadership team gave us the option of trying some different things. So that is why we have changed things up a little bit this year. So God bless you. From uh, the next about 45 minutes, we're going to have Dean Taylor come forward, and he'll share 
a little bit, maybe his, I want you to tell us a little bit about your family and what you do and things like that and then introduce your subjects. So thank you for coming. Dean Taylor is from Holmes County, Ohio. Uh, lives there with his family. He said he lives, uh, there's four generations living there currently, so uh, it's a blessing to have that. He attends the Grace Point Church in Sugar Creek, Ohio. Uh, his wife Tanya is with him this evening. Thank you for coming with him. Uh, they traveled in here just today, and they will be with us uh, the next five evenings. And he also, just uh, by word of information, is teaching at the Charity Bible School, the Youth Bible School, this week. So uh, he's got a big load, I guess, I'm sure, but uh, I'm sure the Lord will use you in a good way throughout the week. So one more thing, uh, on Wednesday evening we will lift an offering for Dean Taylor for the uh, time he's spending with us here. So keep that in mind, on Wednesday evening we will have, uh, lift the love offering for him. So God bless you as you speak. He will close the meeting then uh, when he's finished. Amen. Well, it's good to see everybody. Let me see if I can figure that out. Got to try. Well, that was an amazing um, messages that we heard already. I was very blessed uh, with both the looking at the character of God as being Alpha and Omega, and that we are the light of the world. It is very good to be here, and you know, coming to Lancaster County does always feel like home. Tanya actually started crying when we went around. We got down here to the to the road, so it always feels so good, and so. Um, it's a blessing. Please feel free to come by and say hi to us, and we'll be seeing you throughout the whole week. And um, so today I'm, I'm going to be looking at, oh, I'm supposed to tell a little bit more about myself. So we have six children. I think most, a lot of y'all know uh, several of them. I have three grandchildren, and yes, we have four generations living in my house now. We have, um, we went and got Tanya's mother, so she's living with us now. She's 84. And down my oldest son um, with his wife and Three kids uh, are living in my basement, and so and then we have one more on the way as well from another one. So it's been a um, it's been a it's a very full home. It's a very blessed home, and it, you know you're, I'm entering a different phase of life with all that, and it's it's a blessing. Tanya and I were soldiers in the army um, some thirty something years ago, and became conscious objectors, and it's from that that we. Looking at the teachings of Jesus, we became uh, uh, involved in the Anabaptist circles and has been there ever since. And so it's been a, um, it's been a pleasure to, to be here. So maybe we should try to fix that. I, can, I have a little thing, too. I could try mine. So there's always some technical. Okay, mine looks a lot like yours, so I'm not sure if we're going to make a difference, but we'll try. So, um, I do anesthesia as of my job, and so I've been doing that in Holmes County again. I haven't done it for a while. I had to get back into that, and so that's been good. So I always like to say I'm the preacher that put people to sleep. So, <laughs> so we'll, see. we'll see how that goes tonight. Uh, all right. 
try this. If that's any better. Oh, thank you. Yes. Thank you very much. No, much worse. We could do this without slides. It is possible. I do have. Um, is that worse? <laughs> Technology is a mixed blessing. Um, I saw a a, um, a presentation once, and it this was back when. Um, we start, first started using PowerPoint, and the presentation was, what if Gettys the Gettysburg address was a PowerPoint? And then it was going through all the different types of things and how it just destroys the whole message by having all these points and everything, and of course all the technical problems as <coughs> part of it. All right, so let's see if that's better. I can at least hit this button. All right. So let's do that. So if we could, let's gather our hearts and look to the Lord for what he has for us in this Bible school. And I'll say this about Bible school. and I, um, It is a time that we spend to try to do inventory. You know, you bring in a guest speaker, you, you take some time out of your schedule, and there's always something that God is trying to speak to us during these times. And so uh, I... We don't know what that is, may, just may God give all of us, me included, his grace and his spirit during this time that we're taking out to hear from him and see what he wants to tell us. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this time and for being the, the great privilege it is of being here at Weavertown. And Lord, I just pray your anointing, your presence, and I pray that you would be here. And so God, I ask you to be over the reading of your word and that you would Give me inspiration and allow me to say what you want to be said. Lord, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so the, the theme verse that I'm going to use throughout the whole week is that found in 2 Timothy 2.4. And it is, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And so that's the idea of the, of the spiritual soldier is the theme that was given to me and that we're going to be keep going on this. And you know, as I ponder this, I haven't done a Bible school in a while, so I'm a little rusty. <laughs> and, you know, I, every phase of life I have noticed that I have gone through is you've, you're, a, you're a different person. I'm a different man. And in the different experiences we have, it can do one or two things to you, or it can do many things to you. But... It can make people be cynical. It can make people give up. And, and through the years, I have seen, tragically, many people lose the faith. I've seen people get messed up with, with different heresies, with different factions and schisms, and, and from that become discouraged, and they lose the faith. And doing that, I, I um, when you see people you know, as a, as a soldier sees his buddy get shot or you see people injured and, and, and die on the battlefield, it does something to you. I mean, it, it, uh, it, it, it can ruin a, a soldier's momentum. But I think that even worse than that, uh, soldiers are sort of used to that. I mean, you're, you're not used to it, but you're a, a, you know that could happen. 
When you look at what causes oftentimes people to give up, to get frustrated, to completely surrender, is when they're demoralized at a bigger level. You know, it's when the, seeing your buddies get shot, that's one thing, but seeing factious governments or, you know, a, a platoon that is, gets involved in something of a, where a, an officer had defected or gone awry some way. When, you, when we hear of like people who came back from Vietnam and they were very um, demoralized by the lack of support from the country that, who sent them there for all this. And those kind of things that are system, that are bigger, that are, that are deeper, demoralize people, I think, in a, in a big way. And it's those, those themes, the propaganda, the media, those types of things that attack the physical soldier, and I think it's the same for us. You know, propaganda and espionage and those types of things has, was always part of winning battles, was since the Roman Empire. You can look at um, how espionage and propaganda was used even in the Roman Empire during the times of Christ. And I think even more so it is when, where we have um, today. And I, I think that we do have many risks and many things that are attacking and coming upon the church in ways that we have never seen. I, I, I can think that even my firstborn son, when he was born, the internet did not even exist. Didn't even exist. If someone would have said, what's the internet? You would have not even known when my firstborn son was born. And now it's hard to even imagine a life without that. The idea of cell phones and all those types of things had become so common. And I think that where we usually would have had a sense of community and a way to pass on the faith and these types of things, now it is much more difficult. There's much more things that are, that are hard um, in this. But I do believe that we should have hope. And hope, and I do have hope. And as I look at some of these things, I have hope for several reasons. You know, and hope is very interesting I, was, I remember when I was studying some of the Greek mythology, and, and hope is even built into the human. In Greek mythology, you know the story of Pandora's box? You've heard this? Um, actually, in the Greek, it's the Greek creation world for the woman. It's actually a terrible... Um, so when the first woman was made is when she opened this box, uh, Pandora opened this box, and all these evil things came out, and that's their creation story, the, the pagans of Greece. Um, but... After all these things start flying out and all these things, according to Greek mythology, the pagans said that, that, that there was one thing at the very bottom, <laughs> hope. And it helps human beings go on and on. So there's just something even that's human, beyond Christian, um, that humans feel like without hope you just die. But we have not even just that kind of pagan hope. Not at all. I think that we have a living hope. And... This is the passage that I, I love in Isaiah 59 that speaks of this, and I think it speaks to the time period that we are living in. And it's a promise. And I think we're living in a time like what Isaiah is describing here, but we have a promise. Isaiah 59, verse 19 through 20. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy comes in like a flood, and we have that, the enemy, when the enemy shall come in like a flood, 
the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. The Redeemer will come to Zion and those who turn from transgression in Jacob, says the Lord. I think that's beautiful. I think that's really beautiful. And so we have a new generation, and I also am inspired. I, I, even though in the midst of all these trials and, and temptations, I hear a younger generation. I hear people who are getting it, who want to bring glory to God, who want to spread his kingdom, and it inspires me, it encourages me, and it helps me to, to, to keep going. And, and, I, and I want to bring us hope today that we have a living God who never fails. So I'm going to look at these things, and this is the, the week that we have. On Sunday, we're going to look at the spiritual soldier. I'm going to go look through a passage in Numbers. On Monday, I'm going to look at the battle plans. On Tuesday, we're going to look at ways in which uh, the espionage or the ways that the world of Satan has infiltrated the church and gets to us through politics, through media, those sort of things. Uh, on Wednesday, let's say Tuesday, Wednesday, we're going to talk about weapons of our warfare. We're going to talk about prayer. We're going to talk about salvation. And the helmet of salvation, those kind of things. And then Thursday, kingdom building, particularly from an Anabaptist perspective. And so let's now turn to the Bible. And one of my favorite themes I, I tend to preach on a lot. I'm not going to go through it entirely expository, but uh, grab some little thoughts from it. It's my, one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament. It's in Numbers chapter 21. And I'm going to be, I'm going to be taking through some of those passages. In Numbers chapter 21, we have this, this passage of, of where you have this period when Israel was, you know, when they first came and they crossed through the Red Sea, then they got in trouble and they went through all this, and now they're finally on this march. And you have this period between the raising of the serpent to the next plague where they are really walking in faith and powerful. And we can learn a lot of lessons in this, in this story. Now, what we have here first, as you know, this is where we'll pick it up in Numbers 21, is that they were weary and began to complain. Look at verse 4. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And King James says, because of the way. I tell you, discouraging. Discouragement is one of the things that kill us every time. Remember John the Baptist? He was in prison. He leaped in his, leapt in his mother's womb when, he, when, you know, when, uh, when Jesus was even before, before, when they were both not even born yet, and he had seen Jesus through all these things. He heard perhaps the sermon, I've come to set the captives free, but John the Baptist was setting in jail getting discouraged, and he sent his disciples to Jesus and saying, are you really Christ? And remember, Jesus said, blessed is he who is not offended in me. Discouraging, when we get discouraged, we can tend to lose faith. We must look at these examples and not. In 5 it says, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our souls loathe the worthless bread, this worthless bread, manna. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. And so we know then what happens is that 
God, uh, after that happens, the punishment happens, and then he gives this cure. And this cure is incredible because it, it goes all the way into the New Testament of Jesus. And there's something about that idea that just by looking up in faith, they were healed. You had to crawl out of your tent. You had to look up. You had to have the cure of how it was given. But when they did this, they were cured. And when this happens, we enter in a little a window here where you have a completely redeemed people, saved, walking with God on the battlefront. And it is amazing. And I look at a lot of different stories. I mean, a lot of different... I take a lot of um, interesting lessons from these passages that follow here. So what happens then? They're on the battlefront and they start to go and they, you mention them at, as it says like in the next chapter, and Israel took all of these cities and they took these cities and you see just a people walking victoriously, clear conscience, walking with God and it's getting so bad that the, the king Balak is like, this is a problem, they're obviously going to come into my country and they're going to kill me too. So Balak goes to Balaam in the famous story of where he tries to get them to seduce them and to curse the people of God. It's an amazing thing because I don't, if you think about it, I'm trying to think, maybe y'all can help me, I, I'm trying to think of another, you don't get too many times where you get a, um, a spectator's view of the people of God. It's always kind of a dialogue or back and forth of the people of God, but this is one of the rare times, I'm sure there's others, but it's one of the rare times where you're getting a spectator's view of the people of God. And that's what we get out of these stories. And so, as you remember the story, you got the children, you remember the donkey, the talking donkey story and all that. Then finally you get up to the mountain where Balak is saying, he's taking this Balaam, he said, I want you to go out and I want you to curse the people of God. And so he gives it a try, brings all these sacrifices and all these things like you see that picture there and tries to do these things. But then, please listen to how, to, to why these curses did not work. Numbers 23.8, so he says, how shall I curse whom God has not cursed? And how shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? For from the tops of the rock I see him, and from the hills I behold him, and there a people dwelling alone, and not reckoning itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob, or number one-fourth of the Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous, and let my end be like this. <laughs> when I think of our verse that we're, we're basing this whole week on, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And you think of this idea that they're there and they're not messing with the world. It says here that they were, that they were separated. They're, they're not like the world. The word that says there, from the top of the rocks I see him, a people dwelling alone, or a people dwelling separated, not reckoning itself among the nations. And so when I, when I get this, and I, and I ponder this element of a redeemed people of God on the move, I want to pause for a moment and ask you this question. 
Does this describe you? This idea. They're not involved with the politics. They're not involved with the, the entertainment, the, the different tribes that are around there, the pagans that are there, but they are on the move. They have a purpose, and they're going forth as a people of God. And, and he says, like, and then he even says, I, I want a life like that. Let me die the death of a righteous. And there's something about seeing just people with a purpose like that that inspires him. I ran across this. I was trying to think of, um, of, a, of an example, of, a, of an example that, of, that brings this up. But have you ever heard that report of a, of a young communist during the 1950s who wrote in a magazine boasting and challenging the, the Americans or the capitalists in America, the regular people in America, that, that, that you're, you will never defeat us because of our zeal and our passion and our drive for the cause. I'm going to read to you his letter. It came out in 1958, uh, 1957 in a, in a magazine in America. He said this, and he wrote, and I want you to imagine, I want you to think of how zealous this young communist was about his cause. He says this, he says, what seems of first importance to you is to me either not desirable or impossible of realization. But there is one thing about which I am dead earnest, and that is the communist cause. It is my life, my business, my religion, my hobby, my sweetheart, my wife and mistress, my bread and meat. I work at it in the daytime and dream of it at night. Its holds on me grows, not lessens, as time goes on. I'll be in it the rest of my life. When you think of me, it's necessary to think of communism as well, because I am inseparably bound to it. Therefore, I can't carry on a friendship, a love affair, or even a conversation without relation to the force which both drives and guides my life. I, I evaluate people. I evaluate books, ideas, actions according to how they affect the communist cause and by their attitude towards it. I have already been in jail because of my ideas, and if necessary, I'm ready to go before a firing squad. Now, what does this mean for us communists in a personal way? Well, it means this. We are in the forefront of the working class in its titanic struggle with the capitalist class. We take the heaviest and most direct blows. We have a high casualty rate. We're the ones who get stoned and hanged and lynched, tarred and feathered, jailed and slandered and ridiculed, fired from our jobs and in every way made as uncomfortable as possible. A certain percentage of us get killed and imprisoned. Even for those who escape these harsher ends of life, it's not a bed of roses. A genuine communist lives in virtual poverty. He takes back the communist party every penny he makes above what is absolutely necessary to keep him alive. We constantly look for places where the class struggle is the sharpest and exploit the situation to the limits of its possibilities. We have strikes, we organize demonstrations, we speak on street corners, we fight police, we go through trying experiences many times each year, which the ordinary worker has to force one only once or twice in a lifetime. And... When we are not doing the more exciting things, all our spare time is taken up with the dual routine chores, the endless legworks, the errands, which are inescapably connected with running a live organization. Communists don't have time or money for many movies or concerts or T-bone steaks or decent homes or new cars. 
We have been described as fanatics. We are. Our lives are dominated by one great overshadowing factor, the struggle for communism. <laughs> and when you think of that kind of a zeal, and you ask yourself, what is my passion for Jesus Christ and his cause? What is my passion for that? What is, do I have that same kind of, of a zeal? Or do, you, do you understand that even a little bit? You know, I ask you, you know, I, I think of back um, hearing the, the, the call of a bugle or the sound of a uh, bagpipe playing. You know, a cold bugle, I mean, a bugle on a cold morning is not usually a pretty sound, <laughs> you know, when it's cold. And certainly a bugle, or uh, usually they can't, they're usually out of, a t- out of tune. But there's something that even to this day I have to fight inside of me, not to feel the, the pull that come from these sounds. Do we have that when you hear the hymns of the faith? Yeah, I'm not saying you're going to listen to bugles or, or bagpipes every day, but do you even understand the kind of ownership, passion, separatedness to the hymns of the faith, to the, to the things of God in that way? I reject that old world of the military and all that it is. And I love the hymns of the faith. I love to hear about the redemption of Jesus Christ and his salvation for us. But do you understand that when we talk about those types of things? And let me tell you, it, in this kind of thing that he saw, Balaam looked and he saw a people not reckoned among the nations. They were separated. They were, they were on a, a way. They, they had a passion in a way they were going They were very singularly for God. And and, and you have to be careful in this. There's something, I believe, inside of us that God gave us to be patriots. (laughs) But he's also very jealous over whatever that is inside of it, that it's for the King Jesus Christ and nothing other. And I'll tell you, there is is often times that that we can give this passion, this part of us that is meant to be only for God and to have that kind of passionate zeal like we heard from the communists for God, we give it to other things. In Mark 8.15, Jesus gave them a warning. He said, then he charged them saying, take heed, brethren, the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Both these things, the, the, the whole Pharisees thing, you know, we can even follow religious leaders. Factions, schisms, little groups or different things that want to, want to try to gather people away and to, and to get them um, following, uh, get a little following. Um, even with religious things, people tend to act this way. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrite, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte. And when he is one, you make him twice as much as the son of, your, of, the son of hell as yourselves. You know, as I, I'm a student of history, and as I have seen and I, I've looked, usually when you read all of these, if you read, you know, the, the, the actual writings of Hitler or these tyrants and all these types of ones, they see themselves as saviors, as people that are changing things and making things better. And I have found this to be true. 
the greatest atrocities that have befallen mankind in all of history have been done by men who think they do God a service. So we have to be careful when then we have that zeal and that passion to follow God. We do it only for God and not to get distracted from different things. I found this to be true also. I think there are two ways for tyrants to rule the world. As I look at history, I'm a student of history, and as I look at it, there's two ways for this to happen. And one of the things that I'm, I'm focusing here at this moment is to think of the ways that the church, the people of God, get attacked and get discouraged. And in the midst of these tyrants that come against the church, I think there's two ways in history that tyrants have ruled the world. The first is like that of Alexander the Great or Napoleon or Joseph Stalin, who through military power, coercion, and tyranny subdue their nations with such force and cruelty that their enemies tremble before they ever cross the borders. That's one way. But there's another way, and be careful for this one. The second way is to create a world so small that you remove all the competition. In this world, tyrants still rule. However, their force of their abuse is projected on maintaining the loyalty of their clan and the elevation of their axioms. In both cases, those who cross their path rarely do so without acquiescence or abhorrence. What I mean by this is to say what I'm worried and concerned about are one of the, the things that I'm... Now that we are inundated by so many voices... The internet can come and they can try to grab our children or this group and that group and this thing and the other thing. And all these things want their own agenda and want their own world and want their own following. We must keep our eyes on the prize of Jesus Christ and on him. And that is what they saw in there. We can be distracted. This thing inside of us that wants that type of uh, group can grab us, our attention. And God said, For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. All these different religious leaders and different things, they want a following. We must not. And I like one of the other verses actually said, um, to yield his glory to other. God will not do that. He goes on. And then he says, so, so there he, he has in this whole idea as he looks on him, as he goes on and ponders him, a people dwelling alone, not reckoning itself among the nations. And he says this, he goes on to say this, let me die the death of the righteous and let my end be like this. There is something very um, <laughs> attractive. There is something very... Uh, contagious about having a purpose. You know, even like if you're sitting in a, um, let's say you're on the turnpike and you're at somewhere and uh, um, a group of people come in, they all have the same little t-shirts on from some school or something and, they, and they're doing it and you can see they just have a purpose and they're going through it. It's attractive. There's something about us that notice it. When the people of God are walking in, in concert together with a cause for the glory of God, there's something that just makes, that's contagious about that. And that it's, you, you, he ponders. So Balaam's looking at this and wanting to curse him. And he says, I want to die like that. I want a life like these people have. 
My life is vain. My life is empty. I, I want a life like this. And this is something that I think the spiritual soldier is needing. All right, he goes on. He goes on and he tries him, you know, he tries different times to, to give curses to him. And, the, and this next time he says, and he will not, he has said and he will not do it. So he goes up Balaam and saying, please curse him, curse them. Balaam says, he has said and he will not do. Or, or has he spoken and he will not make it good. Behold, I have received a command to bless. He has blessed and I cannot reverse it. And then this passage, and I really ponder this. He has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. Now, ponder this passage for a second. You remember, the, you know the people, all the different things. They were just getting cursed a minute ago, and lots of people died by fiery serpents and all this. There was a complaining before that and, and all the, the things that happened, and and yet at this moment in their journey, and I don't want you to miss this point, it's incredibly important, that in this moment in their journey, when they came to Christ by faith, when they're following Him and their hands are clean and their hearts are pure and they're walking in the faith, God is looking at them and when He's trying to curse them, I see no iniquity in Israel. I see no iniquity. We want that blessing over our head. I'm asking you, what you're here at, at, for this time in Bible school, and we're taking time out to do some inventory, to ask yourself, where am I with God? To, to, is this true of you, that God is seeing you with this way? Remember, they did mess up in their life. God didn't, wasn't finished with them. Repent and come to him. And he, and he has this. He's trying to curse them. And he can't. He can't. Psalm 24, 3. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that has a clean hand and a pure heart. Who has not lifted up his soul into vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. And then he says this. One of my favorite whole passages. And I want you to get this. And the Lord God said to him, the Lord God is with him and the shout of a king is among him. With this clean hands and this pure heart, he has Christ within him. There's something that is so pure. Now, if you're here again and, you're, and your conscience is, deceit, is, is defiled, and there's something. God is giving us this conscience. God has given us these times like this. Let me ask you these, these questions here. Which one of these are true? Acting against your conscience can be a sin. Or two, acting in accordance to your conscience can be a sin. Your conscience is given to you by God. Number four, your conscience is not the voice of the Holy Spirit. Your conscience can be shaped by the Word of God. Your conscience can be a powerful tool in your path of holiness. All these things are true. Your conscience is not the Holy Spirit, but God uses your conscience and he works with your conscience, with the word of God, instructing your conscience. And if you're here today or throughout this week and God pricks your conscience about things in your life that needs to get clean, by all means, come to God. 
come to Jesus Christ and have the clean hands and the pure heart so that these curses will have no effect on you. I love this passage here in 1 Timothy. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and the doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with hot iron. Another one in 2 Corinthians, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. He has observed no iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. Make sure that you leave this week with this sort of purity in your heart. And get, some, and get all the things right. And then the Lord God is with them, and the shout of a king is among them. This idea that, that God is with them, the idea that our salvation is not just a doctrine or agreeing a creed or, or joining some sort of a political party or something. Being a Christian is having Christ within us. As Paul says there, I have been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I, but Christ lives in me. And when that happens, and you're walking with faith, your hands are clean, your conscience is clear, and you're a spiritual soldier on purpose walking forward, there's a battle cry. And he says, the shout of a king is among him. I did a quick study. I was curious for the Bible study, and I was curious, what kind of war cries were out there? You know, the Romans had this Beritas, which they got from the Germans, and then finally it was some sort of a, a growl that finally went into a, a, a scream of a hellish type of a scream. It was terrible. Other groups, like the, a terrible one during the crusade, that, that, that the popes gave them this idea that uh, Deus hoc volt, that God is with us, and, and with this whole idea, uh, or it is the will of God, as they, go, they went through this crusade, and while they were killing and doing all the terrible things they were doing, they were screaming out these different battle cries. The, the, the northern troops speak of the, the, the rebel yell, and there was some, there's some um, eyewitness accounts of how terrible and awful the cry of these rebels during the Confederate armies were. Another one was that I grew up in Texas. Um, after, the, after the Texans lost the Alamo, the later Texan armies um, with Sam Houston all, would use this as a battle cry. The Russians uh, would literally have ones that just speak of land and bread, and when they were taking Stalingrad, and, and, the later, and, and, they, and a little later, they, were, they said, there is no land for us beyond the Volga. And they, they were just, it was attached to a purpose or a, a particular thing that they were wanting. Maybe even a little closer to ours would be the, the, during the, the, the World War II and, and before that, was the Japanese soldiers with bonsai. It literally means something like 10,000 years, like a millennium. And they would say it in there with their emperor, the emperor for 10,000 years, and then kamikaze into the, to the different troops. And of course, the hideous uh, Gott mit uns from the Nazis was their battle cry. But all this wickedness, <laughs> but God has his with purity and with purpose and there was something that he recognized as they were defeating all these different armies and their hands were pure and they were walking with faith and they were on the move. The shout of a king is among them. Do you get that at all? 
I, <laughs> I remember early on, um, I remember sitting in a church, and we had the hymnary. Uh, I love John D's hymnal, so don't slam on John. <laughs> but hey, here it is. Uh, this is it. Uh, no, this is a church hymnal. So I had the hymnary. I remember when I was first new to, um, to the faith and being in a church service where the singing was really powerful. Uh, there's been a couple times in my life that I really remember it standing out. One time was actually a, uh, what they had during the 90s, uh, um, oh, Promise Keepers. There was all these, well, I was at a place where there were like 60,000 men and they were singing hymns and there was just something, I mean, not to, there was a lot of things that went odd in that whole movement, but the one thing I do remember, singing hymns with 60,000 men was powerful. But I remember once singing and when I first started being around do you ever remember singing hymns and it's really good and your hymnal vibrates? You can feel it. You feel it in your heart. You feel I love that. And I love when the hymn when the singing gets so zealous that you can feel the, the vibrating of the hymnal. That's the shout of a king to me. That replaced my bugle cries and calls and that type of thing. And I love it. Do you love the church? Do you love the people of God? Do you love the, the, the songs of the faith? These things, I encourage you, that they are things that help us along the way in our journey of faith. And they're powerful. They're very powerful. And he goes on. And then he says this. And he tries to curse them. Balak is again trying to get him to curse them. And God brings them out of Egypt, he says, he has strength like a wild ox. And listen to this. For there is no sorcery against Jacob. I can't touch them. It now must be said of Jacob as of Israel, oh, what has God done? Look, a people raised like a lioness and lifts itself up like a lion. It shall not lie down until it devours a prey and drinks the blood of the slain. For there is no sorcery against Jacob nor any divination against Israel. Are you having spiritual victory in your life? If you're having spiritual defeat in your life, and all this means just bad, bad things happen to all saints, but you know what I mean. A Christian can discern when this is a spiritual attack. And if you had allowed yourself to have a defiled conscience or you're, you're walking without that pure, there seems to be not this kind of protection. But when they're walking with faith, separated unto God, walking with a clear purpose, with a clean hand and a pure heart, he's saying there's no sorcery that can touch them. That's powerful stuff, isn't it? You want this kind of blessing over you and over your home. Oh, what has God done? So they were invincible. Absolutely, it seemed, invincible. Forgiven, pure in the eyes of God. Faithful, practicing the will of God. Holy, sanctified, separated unto God, victorious, experiencing victory, and untouchable to the attacks of Satan. That's the place we want to be in. But what happened? And then Israel remained. Literally the next page. Turn to chapter 25. Now, look at chapter 25. Numbers 25, right at the top of the page. And Israel remained in the Acacia Grove. And the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. 
We're being drawn into the sacrifices of, 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 the, of the different gods. And finally, God sent a terrible plague now against them. 24,000 people killed until Phineas finally was so zealous over it that he went and stabbed through uh, two of them um, to put an end to the plague. And God said he made atonement there that way. And then it was stopped. Terrible story. And we have this bookends of where they were walking in faith. They messed up, but they were walking in faith and powerful, invincible, holy, separated. And then the other end where they fell again to seduction. We get just a few, um, coming to an end here, we get just a few indications of what happened. And this is going to come out in the rest of our week. What happened? How could a people of God who were purified, who were clear, who were walking with victory, who were seeing the victory of God, how could it be? Besides the fact that they remained, they sat still. Later on, we get a little detail in chapter 31. And Moses said to them, have you kept all the women alive? Getting mad at them that they've left these people. Look, these women caused the children of Israel. Watch. Through the counsel of Balaam to trespass against the Lord. What Balaam learned to do was to seduce the people of God. Other verses give us a little more indications. And it's really important that we understand this as a spiritual soldier. 2 Peter 2.15. They have left the straight road. They were in the straight road. But they left the straight road and have gone astray. Following the road of Balaam, son of Bezor, who loved the wages of doing wrong. Apparently he was paid there. It looked early. We get a little indication here. And Jude tells us, Woe to them, for they go the way of Cain and abandon themselves to Balaam's heir for the sake of gain and perish in Korah's rebellion. But even more indications is in Revelation. He tells us this. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teachings of Balaam. And then this is what it is. Watch who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the people of Israel so that they would eat food, sacrifice to idols, and engage in sexual immorality. Wow. An invincible army of God. Invincible people. We're clear. Walking with God. No, no curse can get them. All that you can see Satan just trying every one of these battles and their shield was just bouncing off until they seduce them. And I, I just find it, I don't even know what to do with this. If Balaam, who would have been the prophet-ish, taught the government how to do it. Something in that, I don't know. But this is how they failed. Slow seduction. Staying put, no longer they're on the move, no longer they're fighting anymore, they're just hanging out in the acacia, they're taking a good time, and now they're giving up. You know, in the, the Aesop's fable, there's a, uh, he was at a, over 500 years B.C., there was a, a slave who wrote these fables that became part of the uh, ancient world. And there's this interesting fable, very good for us to hear, about a fight between the north wind and the sun. Have you heard this? It's, it's, it's... And so the north wind and the sun were arguing who could blow the coat off of this traveler? I can blow the coat off. I'll get the coat off that traveler. No, you can't. 
And so the sun and the wind were arguing, and the wind said, stand back, I'll take this. So he took it, and he blew, and he blew, and he blew on, on the traveler to try to get this coat off. Finally, the north wind gave up and said, wow. <laughs> I mean, and every time he blew, he would just hunker down and hold his coat and fight, and he made it. And the sun just kind of smiled. He said, I'll have that in no time. So he just started to shine on him, shine and shine and shine. So finally, the traveler sat down, Woo! I better take this coat off, and took his coat off and relaxed, and the sun smiled. This time and time and time is the way that God gets to us. If you're here this week, is this you? I tell you, I fight this every day, and I find it a lot harder now that I'm 56 than when I was 16 or 26 more, that the, the, the desire to just stop fighting, to give up, to enjoy the enchanted ground. Remember in the Pilgrim's Progress, it was the enchanted ground that was the hardest test. Is this you? I have to pray this prayer. You can pray this too. Look what David prayed. Consider and hear me, O Lord. Psalm 13.3. Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes. In other words, wake me up, lest I sleep the sleep of death. That's what happens to me. Just give up. So, in summary, spiritual soldier... Remember these things. And I will give a summary and we will end. The spiritual soldiers that we saw in the book of Numbers were a people dwelling alone, not reckoning itself among the nations. Is that you? If it's not, ask this week in which ways you are fraternizing with the enemy. Number two, he has not observed iniquity in Jacob nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. If you're here today and your conscience is convicting you, or you're here and you've never given your heart, your life to Jesus Christ, and you feel the, the, the weight of sin, or there's something even if you're older and you've been a Christian for years, but you know there's something that you need to get right, just like the Israelites did, get it right this week so that you can have this. I have not observed iniquity in Jacob. Number three, the Lord God is with him. You want that indwelling presence of God. And the shout of a king is among them. I want you also to get a purpose this week, to be revived in your purpose for the church and for the people of God and for, to give glory to God, to, 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 to spread his name in, in, across the, the world and to, and to give glory to the Son of God, Jesus Christ, Get that shout within you. In Numbers uh, 23, do you also this? Number was it? Number four, for there is no sorcery against Jacob, nor any divination against Israel. So that you can say, What has God done? And then, then also finally, now Israel remained in the Acacia Israel. So we're going to look again at this week. On, on tomorrow, I will be looking at the battle plan. I'm going to be looking at ways to look at the Bible. I'm a very 
traditional uh, theologian. And I'm going to be going through a very orthodox faith, an orthodox and a Baptist faith, and looking, I'll show you my battle plan and the plan of the, the, the Word of God, just believing it and putting it into practice is what we're going to be looking at tomorrow, uh, the battle plan, which is the Scriptures. On Tuesday, we're going to be looking at espionage and infiltration and subterfuge of coming against the church. We're going to be looking at media and politics and how the church loses out and, and all these types of things. On Wednesday, we'll be looking at the weapons of our warfare. We're going to be looking at the ways the church has been meant to, to fight and, and, and we're going to talk about things of salvation. I'm going to break up that a little more with the conscience and talk about that tool of the conscience and how God is calling you to have a pure heart for him. And then, number, then finally, we're going to talk about kingdom building and what it means to be the people of God on the move, spreading his kingdom um, finally on Thursday night. So again, but tonight, even tonight, if God has convicted you of, your, of, of this Remember that serpent that was put into the wilderness, and it was Jesus that brought that up in John chapter 3. And looking up in faith, God can rescue you and save you. And if you want to talk about that, you can see me afterwards, and we can pray. But I, I pray that every one of us will take this week of inventory and look to God and see what he has for us. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the word of God. We thank you for the church. We thank you for the people of God. We thank you for a heritage that has been given to us. And dear God, I pray, Lord, that as the, the world just pulls at me and uh, the sleepiness of the ground wants me to stop and all these things and the discouragements and all those things, I pray, God, enliven, encourage, and, and lift up the heavy hands of everyone that is here tonight, Lord, and help us all to follow you more and to, and to glorify you with everything we have. So be with us now tonight and for the rest of this week that you would be glorified. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so 